Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to the DOGS program. We are the DOGS, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and we are here every week to defend and promote public education. Jean's not with us this week, but she has provided us with a whole bunch of interesting material for us to go over. So I'll pass directly over to Kimberly for this week's press release. Over to you, Kimberly. Thanks, Dale. Yeah, this is press release 970, uh, titled Chris Bonner on Rationalist Society webinar, Heart in the Right Place but Reasoning Flawed. On 22nd of February 2023, Chris Bonner, a retired New South Wales school principal, a supporter of Save Our Schools and established author on public education and schools funding, gave an address to the Rationalist Society webinar. He argued that Australia's education system needs a common framework of responsibilities and obligations to ensure that all publicly funded schools are accessible to all children. He argued further that such a new framework would help address declining achievement and growing disadvantage between public schools and the Catholic and independent systems. S. Gladman from the Rational Society summarised his speech as follows. Bonner argued for the full public funding of all schools, the removal of fees and discriminatory enrolment practices that have sorted children based on socioeconomic differences, a proposal put forward in his 2022 book, Waiting for Godsky, How Australia Failed Its Schools, co-authored with Tom Greenwell. He said congregating disadvantaged children in free public schools and children from wealthier families in private schools was contributing to declining education outcomes with negative peer effects and resource discrepancies impacting students in the public system. We need a common framework of responsibilities and obligations to ensure that all publicly funded schools are accessible to all kids, he said. A common public framework could support a choice without creating social and economic segregation. At no cost, families could access schools that reflect their values and preferences, and schools would no longer be defined by who they enrol and by who they reject. Taxpayer funding would no longer provide some students and schools with privileges not available to others. A common framework addresses the root causes of declining achievement and growing disadvantage for our schools because we would no longer be gathering the disadvantage together in the schools that are free or currently free. Bonner said adopting such a solution would essentially amount to admitting defeat for the campaign for a secular publicly funded education system, a battle he argued that was lost half a century ago. Unless we put that to one side, we're going to lose much more in the coming decades. The social class and student achievement divides in Australian schooling are increasing year by year and this shows up in my school data. He conceded that the proposal to fully fund religious schools would raise many questions, especially around ensuring compliance with the common framework, but warned of the costs of further inaction. With the book, we wanted to kick the door open to a conversation about solutions and to invite others that have solutions to put them forward. Don't keep ignoring the problem. Start adding up the gains and losses of going in other directions and, most of all, the cost of doing nothing because nothing is what happens right now and the real costs, including to kids, is mounting. And now for the dog's comment. Bonner, like so many well-meaning educationists in the last 70 years, has a good heart and is concerned for the disadvantaged children in schools throughout Australia. The failure of various incarnations of the Whitlam's 1973 needs policy haunts their endeavours, but Bonner persists in treading this path. He sincerely believes that the class, creed or colour or even the sexual orientation of parents should not in any way hamper the educational opportunities of their offspring, yet he wishes to negotiate with systems 
where discrimination against children and employees are the raison d'etre. Bonner's reasoning, his acceptance as opposed to confrontation of the religious lobby, has led him to the wrong conclusion. For any public funding of private schools that select children is an acceptance of the principle that undermines that underlying the public system. Public schools, to be public, must be public in purpose, public in outcome, above all public in access, public in ownership, public in control, public in funding, and consequently the only ones that can be public in accountability. In the current situation, Australian private schools fulfil only one of these criteria. They are public in funding. If, as Bonner suggests, they are given full public funding and forced to enrol local children, they will fulfil only two of the above criteria, namely that they will be public in funding and access. But they will not be public in purpose, outcome, ownership, control or accountability. Given the political power of the private school lobby, Bonner is perhaps putting on his rosy coloured spectacles if he believes that they will ever be public in access. Bonner is also a bit defeatist in his reluctance to, to confront the private sector, most particularly the religious education lobby. He should perhaps take heart from the efforts of his 19th century public education supporters, as well as the determination of the gay liberation lobby, along with their confrontation of those who practice discrimination in this country. Dogs believe the only way forward for public education in Australia is public funding for only genuinely public schools. Back to you, Dale. Thanks, Kimberly. That was press release 970. And you can read all of our press releases at our website at www.adogs.info. But we'll have a quick break and then we'll be back for more dogs. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to scream out where's our voice in this country. You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. Welcome back to the DOGS program, the Defence of Government Schools program here on 3CR. I've got an article here by Max Wallace called Roadblocks to Fairness in School Funding. Hardly a day goes by without a mention of the gap between the taxpayer-funded subsidy for religious and independent schools and public school funding. In 2012, the Gonski Report made recommendations to redress the imbalance, but they were not fully implemented and the situation has worsened since then. Firstly, and most importantly, a likely explanation for governments not willing to correct this injustice is that neither side of politics can see a sufficient critical mass of voters whose concern about public school funding could affect their electoral chances. An example of a sufficient critical mass was the 2017 same-sex marriage postal survey, which showed 62% in favour of same-sex marriage and 38% opposed. The same year, a review of federal politicians found an over-represented 70% characterised themselves as Christian, 
while in the 2021 census, Christianity slipped to 44%. However, the same-sex marriage vote infers that religious commitment is a cloak which can be worn lightly according to the electoral risk involved, although a minority of politicians will see their religious commitment as their defining characteristic. When the outcome of a federal election could depend on just one seat, it is unlikely any politician from the major parties will say anything about federal funding of religious and independent schools in the absence of that critical mass of voters concerned about it. Given this is likely to be so, our association sought out a legal approach this year. We received persuasive academic advice that the special funding for Catholic schools on top of their usual federal grant could be unconstitutional. At some expense, we got a specialist legal opinion required before one prepares a case for the High Court to test this hypothesis. Briefly, the legal opinion partly argued that the Federal Education Act is so constructed that any kind of constitutional argument is very unlikely to succeed. But the legal block does not apply just to school funding. In 2008, the Vescio case came before the preliminary hearing of the High Court, contesting the federal government's funding of the Catholic Church's World Youth Day. It did not get past second base. Michael Kirby dissented. In 2012, the High Court heard the Williams case and agreed federal funding for religious chaplains in public schools was unconstitutional. The government simply found another constitutional route and approximately $1 billion has been spent overwhelmingly on religious chaplains rather than qualified counsellors. In 2017, the Humanist Society of Queensland obtained a legal opinion on the question of whether Section 50 of the Standing Orders of the Senate, which require the President of the Senate to say a Christian prayer before business commences, is unconstitutional. The current President, Sue Lyons, an atheist, balked at this recently, but the prayer is still there. Again, the legal opinion was that it would be too risky to argue the compuls- that the compulsory Christian prayer in the supposedly secular Australian Senate is unconstitutional. Further, if one of our case- cases had gone to the full bench of the High Court, we would have heard the court crier declare, God save the Queen, before the judges entered to sit and consider the case. In 2017, we asked the High Court why they do this. The Office of the Senior Registrar replied saying that the declaration is long-established court protocol, that is, Christian protocol. A possible future way to unblock the legal roadblocks would be for Australia to become a republic with an amendment to the Constitution to formally separate the government and religion. That could open up the hypothetical possibility of a case to argue that government funding of religious school funding is unconstitutional, as it is in the United States, where 90% of students go to public schools. That is, that is now under threat from the Supreme, current Supreme Court. In a letter to the editor of The Age on the 2nd of September 1988, the late George Pell, then Catholic Auxiliary Bishop of Melbourne, saw this possible danger for religious school funding, referring to the freedom, free cooperation of church and state in Australia, he said, 
we don't want to endanger this by going down the North American path where such cooperation is rare and regularly challenged in the courts. On the point of a constitutional amendment to separate government and religion, our associations 6th to 7th of February 2023 YouGov survey found in round figures 53% favoured a separation amendment, 13% disapproved and 33% were don't knows. It's therefore arguable, I suggest, that the Australian public could find a more secular approach to an Australian Republic persuasive. The Australian Republic movement has shown no interest in considering this as part of a move to a republic, preferring a minimalist risk-averse strategy. With political and legal, legal avenues blocked now and in the future, fair funding for public schools remain, remains bleak. The consequences for the nation of a lack of a fair go for public school students who could have made the most of whatever talents they have for the benefit of all will likely continue to be met with political indifference. And that was from Max Wallace, who's the Secretary of the Secular Association of New South Wales. Now we'll have a quick break and we'll be back with more dogs in a moment. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. And welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR. Now I'll pass you over to Sorrel, who's got an interesting article for us. Thanks, Dale. This article is entitled, If the Private School Sector is Too Big to Fail, Why Make It Bigger? by Lindsay Connors, originally published in the Sydney Morning Herald. Lindsay writes, The continuing shift in enrolments from the public to the private sector has reshaped the nation's education system into one with a high level of inequality and less than optimal return to taxpayers in terms of student outcomes. To protect our public schools, their students and teachers, it's time for radical action. The provision of schooling in our federal system lies with the states. This can be obscured by the eye-watering scale of Commonwealth funding of private schooling. Funding private schools now costs the federal taxpayer $16 billion annually. Recurrent funding from Canberra now exceeds the private school sector's total teaching staff salary bill. Australia's school system has been weakened through cumulative decisions by both major parties in government, including through cost and blame shifting. The Howard government saw the shift of enrolments from public to private, largely religious schools, as a key education policy objective. It introduced a funding scheme in 2000 based on claims that increasing public funds to private providers to affect the shift would reduce the overall costs of schooling to taxpayers and ramp up consumer choice, whilst driving down private school fees and raising educational outcomes. 
The open-ended voucher type funding mechanism used to generate and distribute these funds continued under subsequent governments. In New South Wales, 44% of HSC students belong to private schools. David Hastie recently observed that the non-government school sector is now too big to fail. But this begs the question, why make it bigger still? The next New South Wales government can and should act. Yes, we definitely agree um, over at the dogs. It's, it should end its own underfunding of public schools and overfunding of private. With so many families in financial hardship, the responsible course of action is to locate additional school places needed to meet population growth in the public sector where they can be accessed by all. New South Wales should also pay its own full share of the funding entitlement of public schools and put heat on the Commonwealth to remove or raise its current funding cap of 20% towards their costs. A little bit more on that later because the Greens have just made a bit of an announcement, but we'll talk about that later. Avoiding harm to students must be a primary condition for further for the further much-needed reform. Removing public funding for most non-government schools where government grants underwrite teacher salaries would disrupt the education of their current students. But the fact that the public funding cannot be removed from all private schools does not mean that it should not be removed from any. There would be no harm to students if state funding were removed from those non-government schools where private income from high fees and parent contributions add up to twice or more the amount of their base resource standard. The main effect of this funding is to enable more private funding to be channelled into non-educational facilities such as subterranean car parks. Commonwealth and state, government, state funding for Catholic and independent schools has long outgrown the per-student voucher-type mechanism for the provision of its share of public funding. So why fund more places in this sector with a funding mechanism so clearly unfit for purpose? The next New South Wales government should quarantine the private sector as its present enrolment levels at its private present enrolment levels to prevent further damage. It's time to develop a regulatory framework for the planning, registration and public funding of non-government schools that is consistent with the fact that their teachers are now essentially on the public payroll. In the meantime, the next New South Wales government should not approve proposals for any new private schools and place a cap on enrolments at existing private schools. Apart from the high-resource, high-fee schools referred to above, the New South Wales government should maintain state grants to existing private schools consistent with their SRS entitlement until a new policy framework can be agreed between the Commonwealth and states. During this period, private schools which flout their enrolment cap could have their state funding withdrawn leaving market forces to determine the distribution of teachers among schools is not working and the inequity damages not only those students who are most reliant on their schools for their chances in life, but the social and economic well-being of society as a whole. Um, we don't necessarily agree that, you know, we should continue uh, the funding of private schools. Um but yeah, that was. I think that article was by Lindsay Connors. Yeah, who is 
who was a member of the former Commonwealth Schools Commission. She's held a senior education posts at state and Commonwealth level. Um, more, some more comments. Uh, the fact that our taxes are being used to pay for lap pools and polo grounds while public students must hold bake sales to be able to afford things like proper ventilation should make the blood of every citizen boil. If people want to send their kids to private schools, fine and dandy, but my money should not be used to fund their personal choice. And many, many more comments like that continue onward, and we would have to agree. So um, nice try, Lindsay, but you're not quite there yet. You listen to The Dogs on 3CR. We'll be back after this. Three CR needs members to survive. By becoming a subscriber, you're helping us to remain fiercely independent and free of commercials and corporate influence. Are you a paid-up subscriber? It's just forty dollars concession, eighty dollars waged, one hundred and fifty dollars for a band or organisation, and three hundred dollars solidarity. Great value for twenty-four-seven community-owned and community-controlled media. Please become a subscriber member today. Call the station on 03-9419-8377 or sign up online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. And welcome back to the DOGS program. Now, during that other article, I mentioned uh, a little bit about the caps, uh, the 20% cap on government, and there's been an announcement by the Greens Party about just this thing. I've got a press release saying the Greens are to introduce a bill to remove 20% cap on federal public schools funding. So the Greens will introduce a bill to remove the arbitrary 20% cap on Commonwealth funding for the public schooling resource standard. Speaking at the Australian Education Union's National Conference, Australian Greens spokesperson for schools, Senator Penny Orman Payne, said today she would introduce the legislation to end the buck passing between the state and federal governments. The announcement comes after the government extended the current National Schools Reform Agreement, locking in underfunding for public school students for another 12 months. Comments attributable to Green School spokesperson Senator Penny Ormond-Payne, Australia has now one of the most privatised school systems in the developed world. This is a critical juncture where the governments of Australia will, in effort, decide whether they are committed to public education or not. It is no exaggeration to say that public education faces an existential threat if we do not turn this around. Whether the federal government wants to admit it or not, and judging from Jason Clare's recent comments, it's the latter, this will cost money. You cannot rebuild public education in this country without investing serious sums in public schools. The money is there waiting to be used. There's a quarter of a trillion dollars being wasted on the stage three tax cuts for the rich that could be spent on public schools. Inequity in our school education system will not be fixed by tinkering at the edges of the next NSRA. We need to see a wholesale shift away from funding private schools and reinvestment in our public education system. So a little bit of background, uh, the Australian Education Act in 2013 was amended under the coalition government to, to state that the Commonwealth would contribute 20% towards meeting the schooling resource standard, with states and territories making up the rest. Meanwhile, the Commonwealth meets 80% 
of private school SRS funding and states 20%. The NSRA sets out the school funding arrangements between the Commonwealth and states and territories. The current NSRA, which was due to expire at the end of 2023, locks in underfunding for government schools. Under the current agreement, public schools will have to wait until at least 2027 to just to receive 95% of their schooling resource standard, although the capital depreciation loophole will actually see that number closer to 91%, which is the bare minimum level. The SRS is the bare minimum level of funding students require to achieve minimum achievement benchmarks. So that was... Uh, a little bit from Senator Penny Owen Payne, the Green Senator, talking about actually taking away that cap, removing the arbitrary 20% cap on the government contributions to public schools. That's the federal government. So it would be very interesting if Senator Orman Payne were able to get that 20% cap removed. That would make a big difference. But again, it's that passing of the buck between the federal and the state governments as to who should fund properly, fully fund public schools to the SRS. And it should just be a no-brainer when they are essentially overfunding private schools to over 107% of the SRS in some cases. And uh, as that article mentioned, public schools are still stuck down at 91%. So uh, good luck. You listen to the dogs, so have a quick break. Therese Virtue here from Music Sans Frontières. Subscribe to 3CR for music programs dominated by Australian artists, supporting Australian music making and lifting your day with glorious sound. 3CR is a membership-based organisation. We depend on our members' support. That's why we make it so easy to subscribe. Call 9419 8377 or go online to 3cr.org.au. to the DOGS program. We've been talking a lot about funding of private and public education in Australia. And now um, I'm going to pass you over to Kimberly, who has another article for us. What have you got for us, Kim? Uh, thanks, Dale. Yeah, I've got an article titled Two Principles Gone in Three Weeks, Parents, Students in Uproar at Islamic College, written by Adam Carey on the 24th of February, 2023. Um, the Victorian schools regulator has launched a review of an Islamic college in Preston after it was engulfed in governance woes as it, and its principal and vice principal was stood down. The leadership turmoil has prompted alarmed parents and senior students to organise a rally outside the school gates on Friday morning to show their support for the two sideline principals. The board of East Preston Islamic College, or EPIC for short, stood down the school's acting principal this week, giving staff no explanation less than three weeks after they removed her predecessor for alleged and unspecified misconduct. In response, the school's latest acting principal issued a written warning to families late on Thursday that participation in the protest breaches the school's code of conduct and could lead to suspension or more serious consequences. The low-fee private school is governed by 11 Melbourne-based Islamic community groups, six of whom formed an alliance late last year to topple the former school board. One of the new board's first major moves was to refuse to pay teachers their salaries in a standoff with the former board over control of the school's finances. 
that was only resolved after Supreme Court mediation. Staff at the school have been told Neil Hensankali, the school's principal, and a long-serving senior staff member has been stood down due to alleged serious misconduct but have been given no further details. Assistant Principal Maisha Ryan, who was acting principal in Hensankali's stead, was then stood down earlier this week for unexplained reasons. The board had previously praised her performance in correspondence to staff. Ryan is also the school's VCE coordinator. About 100 teachers and support staff at EPIC have signed a petition calling for Hensankali's reinstatement. The school's three canteen staff have also left. Parents and senior students are planning to rally outside the school gates on Friday morning on, in a show of solidarity with Hensankali and Ryan. Nadimi Heisker, who has two primary school aged children at the school, said the leadership instability was taking a toll on students' education, particularly senior students, as Ryan played an important supporting role for them. Heisker said this new, bo new board was mismanaging the school. I don't think they are seeing the wider picture, she said. They are selfish, not thinking about the students. They're thinking about themselves. The school, now led by acting principal Sonia Hammond, was hired security, has hired security staff to guard the front gates on Friday morning in response. Hammond said she would not comment on the dual stand downs because there was an ongoing legal investigation, but said she had just been appointed by the new board and was seeking a peaceful resolution to the school's problems. At the moment, we need to pacify the situation, Hammond said. She said any protest outside the school would not help students. It is actually conflicting with the education of our students. We are here to educate and achieve good student outcomes, so we want to find some sort of peace in the situation, she said. Independent Education Union Deputy Secretary David Breer said the issues at the school were deeply concerning. While it is still unclear how the governance structure has so badly failed the school, what is clear is that none of this is the fault of the students, families or hardworking staff, and it is essential for their sake that stability be returned immediately, Breer said. As we did to recover unpaid wages in January, we will not hesitate to take legal action if required to protect our members. Bria said Epic had built a well-deserved reputation as a good school that plays an important community role and was the first Islamic school in Victoria to protect and improve staff employment conditions through union-negotiated agreements. A spokesperson for the Department of Education said a cyclical review of East Preston Islamic College is currently underway. The review by the Victorian Registration and Qualifications Authority includes the school's governance arrangements. Back to you, Dale. Thank you. That's interesting, isn't it? We were talking last week just about that very thing about principal being stood down for encouraging the teachers to join their union. So independent school teachers union, I think, it, yeah, at a private school, you are a little bit more hamstrung, but there is a union there. But it looks like if you join it, then your head might be on the chopping block. But um, anyway, we'll have more after this. You listen to the dog. Three CR is radical radio. Through our on-air content and community structure, we promote real change for workers' rights, gender equality, environmental action, disability justice, and on racism and First Nations sovereignty. Do you want to be part of real radical change? We need you to subscribe. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation, and $300 solidarity. Call 03-9419-8377. That's 9419-8377. Or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.
about their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back. You're listening to The Dogs on 3CR. Now, this is an interesting article by Antoinette Latouf. It's titled, Can We Talk About Something Other Than Property and Private Schools? For a country as interesting and diverse as Australia, our banter is becoming tedious and predictable. Nowhere is this more pronounced than among residents of Sydney and Melbourne who appear to have run out of topics of conversation beyond property and private schools. Have you decided on a school for, insert top 10 baby name here, yet? An acquaintance asked me as we waited separately for our coffees. We put all of our kids' names down from birth. You have to do that to get into a good private school. It just means we can't go skiing every year. But hopefully we can, we can this year because we're negatively gearing our coastal property. But at the end of the day, we just want the best education for our kids. You know what I mean, right? Again, I was not expected to answer. When I first had children, I struggled to understand the growing infatuation with an education system so inherently flawed and inequitable. But now I know the temptation to join in when it feels like you just can't beat it. New data shows parents are increasingly opting for private and independent schools, with the share of students enrolled in public schools plunging to its lowest level in 15 years. But given the latest census showing lower levels of religious affiliation, this has to be less about faith and more about getting your place in a system designed to cultivate privilege and protection. It's a trajectory that hasn't happened by accident. It's due to deliberate and strategic government policy and decisions and dollars. Data published last year by Save Our Schools showed private school funding in Australia has increased at five times the rate of public schools. Australians are now, on average, the fourth richest people in the world, but the distribution of our wealth remains progressively unequal. I attended public schools in Western Sydney and hail from a working-class family. As cliched as that sounds, for me, free education in the 1990s was a leveller. It allowed me and my siblings and others from disadvantaged circumstances to succeed and climb up the socioeconomic ladder. But what's far frustrating is that resources in the public education system are far scanter now. In addition to increased funds allocated to private schools, there have been delays in building new public schools for a growing population. A lack of long-term planning has led to overcrowded classrooms. This exacerbates the disparities and the impact of under-resourcing and undervaluing public education will be felt for years. A couple of years ago, it was revealed that the then new head of New South Wales 2,200 public schools sent her daughter to a private school. 
All of these factors send dangerous messages about what we should value. And as a result, parents and even some children go into a frenzy about the slice they're getting out of the school system pie. It's instinctively human to want a bigger, juicier slice. At a kid's party last week, when the topic among adults turned to schools, within a nanosecond, one of the dads whose child started in the private school system a few weeks ago repeated the phrase, I guess you get what you pay for at least three times. And pay they do. Recent research found the average cost of sending two children to a Sydney private school for 13 years was $715,862. It's even costlier in Melbourne. 17% higher than the national average. Then, of course, they get all that government money on top. After the party, bristling with FOMO, my daughter asked, Mum, is my school not good enough? Why can't I go to that fancy school? How should I respond? No, darling, I truly believe all Australians should have access to free education. I will send you to a strategically underfunded public school that pays teachers less and expects more from them. Oh, and you may or may not have an actual classroom and will probably have to learn in a hot steel portable room. I'm doing this because mummy loves you and believes in equity of access. Not only has investment in our schools favoured private schools to an astonishing degree, housing policies such as negative gearing and capital gains tax also caught the wealthy. Coupled with the supply of social housing, virtually halving in three in 30 years. It's dispiriting but unsurprising that the number of people who are homeless has risen sharply across the country. My second least favourite topic, conversation topic is property prices after private schools. Yet too often, the two go hand in hand. Last year, Sydney and Melbourne were again named among the world's top five least affordable cities to buy a home. The irony is ploughing money into private education, widening the wealth gap and politicians defending negative gearing as if it's their firstborn child means that even a student who started kindergarten at the most elite school this year is unlikely to be able to afford a home as an adult unless, of course, they are lucky enough to bank with the bank of mum and dad. We need to change the subject if we're going to change the future. Indeed, it is a very uh, dispiriting conversation. We'll have a quick break and we'll be right back to Go Overseas with Jeff. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. You're listening to The Dogs on 3CR and now we're going to go over to Jeff. What have you got for us this week, Jeff? Thanks, Dale. And this one is from Diana Rabich's blog. It's not by Diana Rabich. It's Mercedes Schneider, as quoted by Diana. And um, it, she writes about Ron DeSantis, who's, the, of course, the Republican uh, governor in Florida. He's, he's actually become a bit of a cultural leader in the um, conservative changing of school curricula. He's into, um, into reducing um, discussions about anything he thinks is vaguely controversial 
that sort of thing. Anyway, um, so Mercedes Schneider writes here about Governor Ron DeSantis' shameless moves to wipe out courses in K-12 in higher education that he does not like. He's leading an audacious attack on academic freedom that has not been seen in the country since the early 1950s uh, during the Joe McCarthy era. Then the enemy was communism. Communism now it is the fear of those who want to investigate the roots and practices of social and political injustice. Such people, to DeSantis, are enemies of the social order. They are woke, awake to inequity. They make students want to change the status quo. They cannot be tolerated. Their ideas must be eliminated. DeSantis is leading the purge, he says, to protect freedom. The language is Orwellian. He means to stamp out the freedom to teach and learn while boasting of his love of freedom. In addition, he wants to transfer the power to hire new faculty from the faculty itself to college presidents, whom he appoints. The entire state university would become subservient to his authoritarian impulses. Schneider describes what is happening, mostly under the radar, as DeSantis wages war on the freedom of inquiry. The current ultra-conservative education platform seeks to stifle all formal or informal discussion of diversity, equity or inclusion in public K-12 and post-secondary education with Florida apparently leading such efforts. K-12 is kindergarten year 12, of course. Though as of yet not a formally declared 2024 candidate, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is in the GOP polls as an assumed and formidable GOP presidential primary candidate. DeSantis and the Florida legislature are working hard to exercise power over what courses or majors could exist in Florida universities with legislative efforts to kill women and gender studies and, as insider notes, gut a variety of majors. Meanwhile, while the February 24-23 Tampa Bay Times reports that Florida Department of Education, FDOE, told school districts to produce detailed information about the programs and materials they use, to address some of the state's most hotly debated subjects. Continuing, in an email delivered late Tuesday, the department instructed superintendents to fill out a 34-question survey identifying titles of books and programs they have relating to sex education, social-emotional learning, culturally relevant teaching and diversity and equity and inclusion, amongst other topics. It asked for specifics for student courses and employee training. The department requested names and examples from district and charter schools. The Florida Department of Education wants the information by Monday, February 27th, though it did not offer any reason. The the Florida Department of Education request came on the same day that Florida HB 999 was filed by Alex, Alex Andre, Republican of Pensacola. The bill would remove faculty input from the hiring process, prohibit hiring based on diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI, remove majors and minors related to critical race theory, gender studies or intersectionality. The, the rewrite of previous the previous bill seeks to remove any mention of politics, including striking through statements such as motivate students through the Florida State University to become aware of the significance of government and civic engagement at all levels and politics in general, uh, provide students with an opportunity to be politically active and civically engaged and nurture a greater awareness and of and passion for public service and politics. So those things have been struck from the bill. DeSantis does not want to encourage students to become engaged in civic action. He wants to nurture compliant complacence and passivity in this best of all possible worlds. Um, so what DeSantis is doing is not conservative. It is radical. It is authoritarian. 
He shows no respect for critical thinking or debate. He is unwilling to allow students to learn anything he does not like. His desire for control of what can be taught or learned is less dangerous to democracy. He's attempting to establish a dictatorship and has a supermajority of both houses in the legislature who will give him whatever he wants. Yes, that's an interesting article, and it, it, um, it parallels what happened here under the previous Conservative government, federal government, who have uh, made university arts degrees uh, much more expensive as a way of social engineering. Uh, rather than eliminating them, they've just made them un unaffordable uh, for poor people, so or for anyone who's not uh, from the elite. Uh, anyway, so we're now going to nip across the ditch and go to... Uh, UK, where we're following the uh, the teacher strikes and things like that that are going on there, which is um, appalling. Anyway, so Labor, this is from The Guardian. Uh, Labor says, this is uh, an article by Sally Wheel. Labor says on the 28th, um, Labor says government has created a perfect storm in England's teaching workforce. Uh, Labor analysis shows recruitment is down by a third outside London compared with 2019. Labor has accused the government of creating a perfect storm in England's teaching workforce after analysis revealed the scale of the crisis with teachers old and new quitting the classroom and too few replacing them. A teacher who qualified in 2010 is 15% more likely to have left teaching within a decade than one who qualified in 2000, according to Labor's analysis of the most recently available official figures. There is also a concerning gap between the number of teachers quitting the profession and those entering it, Labor says. Its research found that 36,262 teachers left the teaching profession in 2020 to 2021, compared with 34,000 who joined via the initial teacher training, leaving a shortfall of 1,868 teachers. The government's own teaching training statistics, published in December, revealed the recruitment down by a fifth, which was described, described as catastrophic. Fresh analysis by Labor, however, found that outside London recruitment is down by nearly a third compared to 2019-20. Labor says the recruitment crisis threatens to jeopardise the quality of public people's education and harm the life, of cha life chances of children, particularly in the north of England and the Midlands. It's also at the centre of talks between government and unions who say the erosion of teacher pay has made the job less attractive. Barring a last-minute breakthrough in negotiations, the National Education Union is due to hold its second day of strike action next Tuesday in the northern Yorkshire and Humber regions in pursuit of its claim for fully funded above inflation pay claim. The, the Shadow Education Secretary, Bridget Phillipson, said the Conservatives have, have created a perfect storm in our teaching workforce, with teachers old and new leaving and with too few replacing them. Our children will reap the whirlwind of lower school standards and worse life chances in years to come unless the Conservatives get to grip with the dangerous exodus of teachers that began under their watch. And just nipping over to another article uh, by Sally Wheel uh, from the 28th of Feb, um, just, just pointing out that um, tens of thousands of teachers will strike this week, re resulting in the closure of some schools as member of the National Education Union. Members take part in the three days of industrial action. Little sign of a solution to the dispute on the horizon. Teachers in the north of England will strike on Tuesday, followed by members in the Midlands and eastern regions on Wednesday. On Thursday, the industrial action moves to London, the south, London, south of England and Wales, as the standoff continues between the government and the NEU, which is seeking a fully funded above inflation pay rise. 
Kevin Courtney, the National Education Union Joint Secretary, said he expected 200,000 teachers to take action over the course of the next three days, with numbers boosted by 50,000 new members joining since strike action was first announced in January. I think the majority of schools will be affected by the dispute, he said, some of them with full closures and many more with partial closures. Some secondary schools will be completed, completely closed. Others will have particular year groups in and a similar pattern in lots of primary schools. This week's action comes almost four weeks after the NEU staged its first day of strike action, which closed thousands of schools across the country, some partially, others entirely. The Department of Education said that 9.3% of state schools in England were entirely closed by the industrial action, and 44.7% were left partially open with restricted attendance. Fewer than one in five secondary schools, 17%, were fully open, compared with just 52% of primary schools. Last week, the government offered to move to formal talks on pay if the union agreed to suspend its planned strike action. The union rejected the offer, saying it would only pause the strike if there was significant progress. Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, said the government had made a serious offer to the leaders of both the NEU and the Royal College of Nursing to pause this week's strikes and returns for talks about pay conditions and reforms. It is hugely disappointing the NEU has thus far refused this serious offer and has not joined the RCN in calling off strikes, she said. Instead of sitting around a table discussing pay, the NEU will once again cause disruption for children and families. Children deserve to be in school and further strike action is simply unforgivable, especially after everything children have been through because of the pandemic. And um, that's the end of the article. But, um, yeah, it's any wonder that the Tories uh, have reaped, you know, they're, they're reaping what they sowed by 10 years at least of underfunding of the British public uh, school system. And um, I don't know what's going to happen over there, but it, it ain't good. Anyway, back to you, Dale. Thanks for that, Jeff. And now to our good news story, uh, our great state school of the week. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school of the week is. Clayton South Primary School. This is an extract from Clayton South's Primary School's vision statement. Clayton South Primary School provides a happy, caring and stimulating environment. They work with a diverse community with a sense of commitment. Children are encouraged as individuals to achieve their best so they can make positive contributions to the community. Clayton South Primary School was established in 1929 on three acres in a light industrial residential area. The original brick building is today their most impressive visual arts and loat facility that provides an impressive atmosphere and space for their students to develop their creative talents. Their classrooms are large, well-equipped, and every classroom has an interactive whiteboard. There is a very well-equipped student library, art room, and school hall with a vast array of sporting equipment. Their school is fully networked with computers in each classroom in the form of PCs, netbooks, notebooks, tablets, and iPads. Wow. The school is well-resourced with a vast and current mathematical and literacy library. 
specialist programs are conducted in PE, visual arts and Spanish. In addition, a camping program and an inter-school sport are provided for middle and senior students. Intensive swimming programs and visiting sports organisations provide coaching sessions that complement the physical education and health curriculum. Their perceptual motor program is a very successful part of their prep two program. The spacious playgrounds are well established with plenty of shaded areas provided by the trees, extensive use of shelters and shade sails over the junior and senior playground equipment, a large sandpit, cricket nets, and a large oval area. They have double netball courts, which are surfaced with artificial grass, which adds to the safety and functionality of their use. Clayton South Primary School provides a comprehensive curriculum that is based on the Victorian curriculum. At Clayton South Primary School, they focus on teaching individual students with a focus on improving their literacy and numeracy skills. Student wellbeing is an important issue that underpins all school programs. The school community encourages high standards of behaviour based on cooperation, respect, mutual responsibility and self-discipline and actively promotes harmonious student relationships. A comprehensive wellbeing program is consistently implemented by all staff and is strongly supported by their parent body. A close working partnership with local preschools is a strong feature of their school. The Discovery Tree and Clayton South Kindergarten are both situated next door. Sundowner and Westall Preschool are also feeder kindergartens along with other local private childcare centres. All have worked with the school for many years, allowing for a smooth transition. Strong links have developed with local secondary colleges as well through transition activities with formal activities and visits occurring in years five and six. A preschool to prep transition program, Step Into Prep, is conducted for children eligible to attend school the following year. Some students have not had any experience with kindergarten or preschool prior to commencing school. That all sounds wonderful. It sounds like a great school. Now I have some facts and figures for you from ACARA. The school has 117 pupils. The ICSIA value of the school is 1,012, which is just above the average of 1,000. But there are still a lot of disadvantaged children with language differences in this school. Only 15% have parents from the upper quartile in income, 30% in the second highest quartile, 26% from the third quartile, and 29% from the lowest quartile. 74% of the pupils speak a language other than English, that's quite a lot, and 5% are of Indigenous parentage. This is a school full of disadvantaged students with dedicated principals and teachers. It cost the taxpayer 16951 above the Gonski resource standard to educate a student at this school. The school receives only 395000 from the federal government and $1.4 million from the state government, 47000 from fees and only 33000 from private fundraising. The capital grants in the last three years have only been 284000 All this public and private money is definitely money well spent. The NAPLAN results of these disadvantaged students indicate a greater improvement than that of other comparable schools.
Congratulations to the dedicated staff at this school. Happy Great State School of the Week to you, Clayton South Primary School. Yes, congratulations, Clayton South Primary. Well, we've come to the end of the program. Thank you for staying with us. If you'd like to find out more about the dogs, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Or you can uh, listen to podcasts at the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au and you can have a read of Jean's weekly press releases at the dog's website. That's www.adogs.info. We're getting up there, over 900 press releases now. But until next week, hopefully we'll have Jean back with us then. Until next week, it's goodbye from Kim, Sorrel, Jeff and me, Dale. Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I ain't dead Says Joe, but I ain't dead The copper bosses killed you, Joe They shot you, Joe, says I Takes more than guns to kill a man Says Joe, I didn't die Says Joe, I didn't die And standing there as big as life And smiling with his eyes Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.